So would you please help me make welcome with me, Dr. Hackett. Give him a big hand. Thank you, Dr. Thanks, Greg. Hey, well, Happy New Year to you. All right, it's good to see you. All right, as much as I can see you, but I hope they're going to turn the lights on for me. If that would be great, I love to have the lights on. Hey, as a parent and a grandparent, uh, one of the things I really wanted for my children and now even my grandchildren is for them to get to that place of maturity. All right, to become the person that they were meant to be. This past spring, I had the opportunity. My my daughter is an associate dean at Southeastern University and one of the professors there, and uh, we taught a class t- together. And uh, basically, I would say she taught the class and I helped. And it was just kind of neat to see her progress and her ability and, and, and so forth and watch her and her husband raise their kids and, and so forth. And uh, my, son, my son was always one of those that I had a simple prayer. God, Josh. Uh, just, he, he kind of needed prayer, but, and, and I can remember getting uh, bill collectors coming after him and, and collection agencies and so forth. I'd sit down with him multiple times and say, Josh, this is how you need to, you need to pay your bills. This is what you can do. Uh, we went through all sorts of things. When he got married, he married a good woman who changed his life. And I remember when they were going to buy their first house, it was a choice between two different houses. One was a little bit more expensive, had some extras to it, and uh, you know, he, he, you know, I wanted to help him out, and I said, hey, if you need the extra down for this other house, I'd be glad to, to help you out with that. And he said, Dad, you know, we, we talked about it. We're going to get the cheaper house because we just want to keep our, 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 our costs down and our bills. I was speechless. This is a guy that had a collection agency coming after him, and now he's talking about paying things off and the cheaper bills and so forth. And, and uh, I just thank God that he found a good wife. But maturity. And, and I think our Heavenly Father wants the same thing for us. He wants us to grow to that place of maturity where we're becoming the person that he created us to be. And, and that's what this series is all about. How do we do that? How do we go from here to there? I, I kind of thought about that title. I didn't come up with it, and I thought about that. And I, I'm, you know, like old type of thing, and I remember old movies and so forth, and I remember a movie called From Here to Eternity. And if I was naming it, that's what I would name it, because in eternity, we are becoming, we will be the person that God intended us to be. But God has a process for us in doing that, and, and that's the goal of this particular thing. So today's message kind of deals with that, that idea. In my, I, I teach one of the classes that I teach at Southeast is, is, a, is a class on preaching. Go figure. And uh, they picked me to do that. I, I don't understand that. But uh, I always start that class with a passage in Colossians chapter, chapter 1. Uh, Paul is, is writing to this church, and he's telling them how excited he is to preach the gospel and bring the mystery that has been hidden for years to light. And that mystery is that what Paul found out and what is the truth of the gospel is that the gospel is for all humankind. It's not just for the Jews. And here was Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he tells us, and he's realizing that God's love is for everybody. God's salvation, God's plan is for everybody because God created all human beings. And he gets the opportunity to unfold that mystery in his preaching. But at the end of that chapter, in the last two verses, he talks about what I feel is the purpose of preaching. And he says this in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. It says, so we tell others about Christ, warning 
everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship in Christ. Notice what he said there. We want to present them to God perfect into their relationship in Christ. And he says, that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on God's mighty power that works within me. You see it up there, all right? And then here's a different translation, and I threw in some Greek words for you because I knew you wanted to learn some Greek today. And so it says, this is why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works in me, all right? Uh, we proclaim him, admonishing, and, and I put the word nutheto, is the idea of to remind, or maybe even to warn somebody. Uh, it, it literally has the idea of bringing to your mind or reminding, all right? And, and then he uses this other word, and teaching, which is the word didasco. We get the, the term to dedicate, the teachings from that. And he said, preaching involves both teaching where you're giving people new information for the first time, but it also includes reminding things, reminding people of things that they should already know. Let me go back to my son, Josh. When my, my, my children were younger, uh, we, we decided to give them allowance for doing certain chores. And Josh's chore was to empty all the trash cans when they got full. And particularly, you know, like the day before, you had to put your trash out on the street for them to come by and pick them up. And so at like five or six years old, I'm giving him this new job and he's kind of excited. He's getting money out of it and so forth and can't wait to do it and so forth. But as he gets older, you know, like 12 and 13, it's like he's waiting till the trash is kind of over top of the trash can and maybe even spilling out on the floor. I know none of you had children like this. Yours were all perfect, but you know, it, it would get that way. And I would simply at times just walk over to the trash can and stand beside it and there would be the trash can overflowing and, and I would just say, Josh, I got you, dad. I didn't have to explain what I was saying at that. He knew I was just reminding him, admonishing him about what his responsibility was. And, and preaching has that effect of doing that. And so some of the things that we hear when, when, we're, when we're hearing a sermon, we're hearing things that we know we should be doing. We've heard it before, but we're not applying them today. Or, or maybe we're learning some things for the new time. That's the part of teaching. And he says, we're doing this so that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. The word up there for perfect is the word, what? Teleo, all right? Teleos. And it's the idea of coming mature or complete, becoming the complete person that God intended for us to be. God wants us to bring, to come into maturity. He wants us to, to cut to that place where we are complete and whole and mature. It's not perfect that we never do anything wrong, but we're becoming that person that he has intended for us to be. And then it goes on, he says that we do that with all wisdom. And to this end, what? To bring people to maturity, I labor, that word kapayo is the idea of, of hard work, tiring work. It's kind of like you're working in your yard all day and, and you're just exhausted. And that night you have no trouble going to sleep because your body is just exhausted from that manual labor that you did. Maybe some of you did that yesterday. My wife had some of those honeydews that we do, cutting down bushes and sawing things and fixing fences and so forth. I had no trouble getting to sleep last night. 
It was just kind of that sort of thing. And Paul's saying, he does that when it comes to his preaching. He labors over it. And then he uses the word struggling. Agonizomai, it sounds like a word in English, agonize. That term is actually used by Olympians back in that time where an athlete will work and labor at getting their body in shape for the Olympic Games. He agonized over his preaching. And then he says, what? I do that with all his energy. You see, there's a part that we do and there's a part that God does. God helps us out. He gives us that energy, that energia. That's the Greek word. You bet you didn't know. You were that close to knowing Greek. Energia, all right? All his energy, which so powerfully dunamis, we get the word dynamite or dynamically, which so powerfully works in us. So when he, we put our hand to the task that God has for us and we put ourselves with, with force and energy into that, God's going to help us out. If it's the plan that he has for us, he's going to energize us. He's going to give us the power that we need to complete it. And that's what this series is all about. What does God want us to do? What does he want us to become? And he's going to help us to do that. And so I kind of give that idea of what it means to be preaching. So there's, there's five things I want to talk about today that we need to think about when it comes to the series. Number one, as Christ followers, we need to separate ourselves from sin. Maybe this is a year that we're going to make some decisions that there have been some sin in our life that we've kind of hung on to. Yeah, we got rid of the big things. I'm not doing cocaine anymore. I'm not smoking marijuana. I'm not taking drugs. You know, I'm not doing this and that. I'm not stealing from the company anymore. I'm doing pretty good as a, as a, as a Christ follower. But maybe there's some little things in our life like anger. Mine always shows up, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, when I'm driving, especially through a place like Orlando, all right? And maybe about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, all right? I don't want to go to Orlando or through there in any way, shape, or form at that particular time because uh, that driver rage gets up in me, and I start thinking about, can I flip somebody off? Maybe I'll just camouflage it. You know, pretend I'm really waving to them, but, you know, this is camouflage for that other finger there. You know, you, you kind of have those feelings at that time. And, and the Holy Spirit will convict me on that, all right? I've got to work on that. Ask my wife, she'll tell you, I definitely need to work on that. You know, when I get behind that wheel, I want to win. I want to be first, and I don't want anybody in front of me. And God forbid we're in the passing lane, and you're going below the speed limit. Get out. Get off the road. I'm going to push you if I have to. You know, could we go back to bumper cars? Something along that line. But we need to separate ourselves from sin. And maybe there's some sin in your life, some little things that God wants you to work on this year. Say, now is the time. This thing is hindering you. Look at some of the scriptures that talk about this. One very familiar one maybe to you is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Starts out with the word therefore, and as a good Bible scholar, you know that therefore, you're always asking the question, what is the word therefore? It's building on chapter 11, where he talks about all these saints that have done great things, including some that have given their life for the gospel. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, they're there to cheer us on, he's saying. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us throw that off and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, the plan that God has for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, 
uh, the author and the finisher, another translation says, of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. Jesus looked at us like at us today and said, this is why I went to the cross. There's something because he sees us making a change in our life from the person where we used to be to the person that God wants us to become. And he's seen that and he was willing to go to the cross for that. Do we set ourselves on heaven and think about our home up in heaven as Jeff talked about a couple weeks ago and how important it is to kind of focus on that because our citizenship is there no longer in this world. Peter puts it this way in his letter. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, he says, Dear friends, I urge you, I urge you, he says, as foreigners and exiles. Why is he called foreigners and exiles? Because our citizenship now as a believer is no longer of this world. It's of God and of his world. So I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, even the desires. I get real frustrated when I read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Because he, Paul said, or, or Jesus says, yeah. Jesus says, you've heard it said this, you shouldn't kill somebody. But he says, I say to you, if you have anger, you're committing that sin. I say to you that you should not practice adultery. But I say to you, if you have those thoughts in your mind, you've committed that sin. And I want to say to Jesus, get out of my mind, right? I haven't killed anybody, I haven't committed adultery, but I've thought those thoughts at times. And so I have to take those thoughts and make them captive to Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here. Those sins that entangled us, that abstain us, uh, and, and cause us to not be the person. They war, wage war against our soul. Thoughts and sins that come our way and ideas. And so in verse 12, he says, live such good lives. The idea here for good is the word attractive. Kayla, attractive, beautiful lives. Live such good lives among the pagans that they may accuse you, that, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the die he visits us. In other words, they can't find anything wrong. They can accuse us of that, but they look at what we're doing and it's right, right? So why do we do that? Why do we say no to sin and yes to God? Well, that's number two. As Christ followers, we want to grow into maturity in Christ. That's our goal to become the perfect, the, per, the whole person that God wants us to be. We want to live up to the potential that God has intended us because when we do that, we will be truly fulfilled and satisfied in this life when we're doing what we're meant to do. I, I, I used to be a carpenter for 10 years. I did that, you know, beating things with a hammer and so forth. And I thought, you know, a hammer was made to pound nails. And maybe there's another end, a little claw on the end that, that sometimes when you, that nail is bent, you could pull it out, right? It's not meant to eat soup with. It's not good on Turkey Day, Thanksgiving, or maybe Christmas. It doesn't work good to use that. A spoon or a fork or a knife or maybe if you're Asian, chopsticks are going to help you out in those particular times. But a hammer was made to, to, to pound on nails. What were you made to do? What was I made to do? When we're doing what we were created to do, we are the most fulfilled and the most satisfied. And so as a Christ follower, we want to grow into that maturity because when we're living out our niche, I talked to Ian up there, who's up there in the sound booth, 
And Ian is at Southeastern, works at our media services, and, and he is always, he just goes overboard in, in what he does. He's always working. He has an unbelievable team, but he loves what he does. He's a master at it. And he was telling me over the break just yesterday, he was at a, at a basketball game doing two sessions and so forth. And I'm thinking, Ian, why didn't you take you know, some time off? And he says, it's hard when you love doing what you were created to do, what you were meant to do. He's in his niche. And when we're in our niche, we feel most fulfilled and most satisfied. And this is what God wants for us. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 13 and 16, it says this, you are the salt of the earth. This is Jesus talking. And he's talking to the people and he says, you are the salt of the earth. He's talking to his disciples. You are. What we don't see here in this, if we were going to read this in the original language, you could say you are with the word este, E-S-T-E, all right? That's the transliteration of it, este. You are. That, the, the subject and this verb are contained in that one word, este. But what is written here is there's a personal pronoun before it. It's not needed because the personal pronoun is already in the word este. It's in the ending. You can tell what, the, what part of speech it is and who it is that's talking here. It's the third person plural. But they put the word humace in front of it. So literally, if you were going to read that, you would say, you, you are. But it's put there for a different reason. In the Greek language, when you put the personal pronoun that agrees with the, the subject of the verb, it's there for emphatic purposes. In other words, when Jesus was saying this, he was saying, you are the salt of the earth. You. I want to emphasize that. You are the light of the world. He's telling us that. Now, that might not be a big deal. You know, I look at my kitchen table and there's a little salt shaker and, you know, once in a while I use it on corn or something like that, but it, it's no big deal. But in that day, salt had value. And that day, salt was important. They had no refrigeration. And so if they wanted to keep a, a, a part of a fish or some meat over another day or maybe even more, they would rub it with salt just to kind of preserve it so it would last another day. So they could use it next and they'd get it and take off the salt the second day and, and, and cook it up. But it was also used, just like today, used for savor, used for flavor, used as a seasoning. It even has healing uh, properties to it. You think about a wound and, and you go in the ocean and with the salt water, the wound seems to heal up faster. So it's kind of like a disinfectant at that point. What's fascinating, even in that time, Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. Why? Because it has value. And so we, we have these expressions that came out of that time. You know, that person is not worth their salt. What the heck does that mean? Well, the idea is that salt had value and they were not worth that. Or we might use another, hey, that person's the salt of the earth. They're a quality person. They have integrity. They have value in who they are. And so he says, you are the salt of the earth, you know? Uh, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be, become salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, a scientist is going to tell you that salt cannot be broken down. It can't lose its saltiness. But it can lose its effectiveness, is what Jesus is saying, when you're rubbing it on meat and you try to save it again and rub it on something else. It's going to gather the properties of what it was rubbed on before, and eventually it's not going to be any good to use, so you throw it out in the street. It'll keep the weeds dead. But then he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, why again does he use light? They didn't have electric light in that time. They had candle power. And so light was a value to them. Why do I light the lights on in here? Because I don't like preaching in the dark, right? What, what do they do in some uh, kind of comic books or something like that? Somebody has an idea. What do they do? They look, put a little bubble up here and they put a light bulb there, all right? Now I have an idea. I have a thought. We even say at times, what, I'm in the dark, man. I've been in the dark trying to figure this out. But man, all of a sudden the light went on, all right? We, we even say this, that, that that person comes in the room, they brighten up the room. There's some people that leave the room and the room gets brightened at that point. But, you know, uh, we got to deal with those things, right? But, it, but, but light had that same sort of thing. And they built their cities out of limestone. They built them on mountains. So even at night, by the stars and the moon, the city could be seen by a traveler if they're coming in after dark because of the reflection on the white limestone. So he says, you know, that's the power of light. Photosynthesis, it gives lights, it causes things to grow, it gives us our vitamin D. And he's saying that's what we are. We are the salt, we, are, we give savor to life, we preserve things, we preserve values as Christians. We have value and worth. We give life to things. And I wonder at times, am I really being the salt and the light that God intended for me to be, right? Because I, I want to be that. I want to grow into that maturity. I want to become that person. Ephesians 1 verses 15 through the end of that chapter talks about Paul praying that we would just understand who we are in Christ. We would understand that God has an investment in us and he wants to see that and complete it. When I read Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 17, it says, you know, don't you realize that you're citizens of heaven? Put off your anger. Put off your wanting to flip somebody off when you're out driving, Bill, right? Put that off and put on kindness and love and mercy. Why? Because I can do that as a Christ follower. I have to make the choice, though, but it's available for me to do. The third thing I want us to see today, that as Christ followers, becoming what God intended for us to become should be our main passion. Let me say that again. As Christ followers, becoming what God has intended for us to be should be our main passion. In other words, we can't be passive when it comes to this. We need to be proactive in working on becoming the mature, the complete, the whole person that God wants us to be. That should be our passion this year as we begin this year. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. Paul's in prison when he writes this letter. In prison. And in the first part of the first six verses of this chapter, he talks about all his worldly accomplishments. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's born in the tribe of Benjamin. He just kind of lists all his degrees and all his accomplishments as if we would do it today. It's kind of like, well, you know, somebody putting doctor in front of their name or putting all the places they went to school or putting all their badges on their, on their email or something like that that they've earned little, you know, gifts in or something like that or accomplishments. Putting all their trophies out there. But in verse 7, he says this, whatever was gained to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. Wow. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage 
what? That I might gain Christ. That I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he says in verse 10, I've always amazed at what he says here. I want to know Christ. Well, Paul, that's why you're in prison. I think you know Christ. But he's saying, I really, really, really want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. We all like power. We like powerful cars. At least I do. We like powerful things. More power, you know, to our internet and all those sort of things. But he says, I want to, I want to know the power of his resurrection. But I don't like what he says after this. And I want to know the participation of his sufferings. Paul, is there something wrong with you that you want to participate in the sufferings of Christ? The Greek word here is the word koinonia. It's the idea of a partnership, like a business partnership or a marriage. I want to go through the ups and downs of the suffering. I want to really understand Christ and what makes him tick. And then he says, I want to be conformed to him in his death, becoming as him in death. The word actually comes from the root word of morphe or metamorphosis. I want to know him even in his death. I want to know what makes this Jesus, Jesus. Why he would suffer for me. He was the son of God. He didn't have to come to earth for me. Why would he do that? Why would he allow himself to be spit on and whipped and laughed at and made fun of and put down and challenged and eventually be hung on the cross? Why would he do that? What makes him tick? I want to know him. I want, I want to become like him. You see the passion that Paul is talking about here. That's what a passion that is powerful. And so Paul is saying, whatever it takes, I want that to happen. And, and then in verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained all this or have ever arrived at my goal, but I press on. Notice the action verbs here. I press on to take hold of that which Jesus, Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But this one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which, Christ, for, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see the passion? You see the energy in what he's saying? I press on, I strain towards what's ahead, but I want to forget those things that are behind. I'm a, I'm a college football fan. All right, you know Jeff is, he loves the University of Georgia. Yay, they won their bowl game, all right? But I was watching the games on New Year's Day. You know, who's gonna be in, the, in the, the national championship? You had Notre Dame playing Alabama, all right? Alabama just kind of creamed them. I love Notre Dame, but it went down the tubes there. My wife didn't even think they were gonna win, so I had like no hope there. And then I watched Clemson and Ohio State. My son-in-law is an avid Clemson fan. Has the flag outside his house, you know, all that kind of stuff, all the, all the gear, all that kind of stuff. So in, in light of him, I'm, I'm rooting for, uh, for Clemson. Dabo Sweeney, good Christ follower. We've had him at the university doing talks and so forth, you know. Ohio State, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I'm happy when anybody beats him, you know. I, I just... Forgive me of my sin here, but, you know, I'm, I'm just being honest before you. But I watched that game, and I'm telling you, I was impressed with their quarterback, all right? He 
really, he seemed to be a Christ follower because everything he did well, he seemed to get down and pray or give the glory of God or kind of go like this or something, or hoping it was God that he was doing that with. But uh, Justin Fields is his name. And, and, and in somewhere in the, I can't remember if it was, yeah, it was in the uh, latter part of the second quarter that he got targeted. Guy hit him with the helmet right in the ribs. I mean, and he was hurting. And I thought, surely the coach is going to took him out. I think the coach took him out for like one play, and he came back in and threw a pass and scored a touchdown. And I said, well, you know, maybe he's going to rest during the, uh, you know, they're, they're already ahead. Maybe they're going to give him some rest and keep the second-string quarterback in and so forth. But no, they kept him in basically the whole game. And I thought, this guy has a passion for doing what he is called to do for this sport. I mean, he was gifted in that particular thing. And, and I wonder, do I have that same sort of passion towards God? Do I have that same sort of passion that Paul had as he writes in this passage to the church at Philippi? All right? Do I have that same sort of passion? It makes me think. And number four, the fourth thing I want you to know is that becoming the person that God wants us to be requires effort and discipline and determination on our part, just like Justin Fields has, the quarterback of Ohio State. It requires effort and discipline and determination. Paul, again, in, in Philippians, writes these verses, which kind of always amaze me. In chapter 2, verses 12 to 15, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What? Work out my salvation. I thought my salvation was by grace. Well, yes, it is by grace. But now that you're a believer, there's a part that we must do. Just as we looked at that, that part in Colossians in the very beginning about Paul's preaching, he, he labors and he agonizes over it. But God gives him the power and energy. And he, so it says here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I wonder if that comes to my driving. I'm not sure. But so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them the stars in the sky. That's where God wants us to be, living out our faith as the people he intended us to be. So what, what things do you want to focus on this year to become the person that God has created you to be? That's really our fifth thing to look at. What things are there? Maybe it's prayer. Maybe you really don't spend any time with prayer. Maybe you pray at meals and that's about it. You know, maybe you pray now, lay me down to sleep and that's about it. But do we really pray? And, and I love the prayer of, of the monk Thomas Merton. It's sometimes referred to as the Merton prayer. But th I think they're going to put it up there, the prayer of Thomas Merton. He says, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. Oh, I can relate with that, Right? My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not necessarily mean that I'm actually doing so. I can relate with that. But I believe that desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me on the right road. Though I may not know every, nothing about it, therefore will I trust you always, though I always see to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever 
with me, and you will never leave me to face my struggles alone. Now, there's an honest prayer, and that's the way God wants us to pray, with that sort of honesty and humility. God, I hope I'm on the right path. I'm trying. I want to please you. And so prayer can be that simple. We don't have to have some eloquent prayer. Just open your heart and pray to him in spirit and in truth. Or maybe you you can pray a prayer like St. Francis of Assisi. It says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that my... I I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. Boy, in today's time, we need to do that, to understand other people and their different point of views without coming down on them, To to, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Now, I, I got these prayers off the internet, I mean, you can grab them, pray them, and make them your prayer. You know, maybe change some words or something like that. But they're honest prayers, and that's why they're effective. Maybe you want to grab the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi or Thomas Merton. Or maybe it's just praying the scriptures. Sometimes I do that. When I want to praise God, I go to Psalm 146 through 150. They're just psalms of praise. They're they're, they're kind of located there, but all throughout uh, psalms, there are prayers of praise. Or maybe prayers of introspection. Psalm 139, search me, O Lord. You know, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Know my heart, God. You know, just real honesty that came from King David. Or maybe prayers of confession. Psalm 51, after David had sinned with Bathsheba, he, he, he gave us that prayer, created me a, need, a clean heart. You don't want sacrifices, Lord. You want a broken and contrite spirit. Or maybe prayers of lament. Over half the Psalms are prayers of complaints and lament. God's saying, you can complain to me. You know, one of my favorite is the short one, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? How long, O Lord, must I wrestle my heart and, and, and the enemy seem to triumph over me? Just honest words. God wants us to pray and talk to him. Or maybe just the Lord's prayer. Or or Jesus' prayer in John 17, you know, Father, make them one. He's praying for us in that prayer. Or maybe some of Paul's prayers in Ephesians chapter 1 or chapter 3 or uh, Philippians chapter 1. There are prayers throughout the gospel that I, I think they're there that we can pray them too and make them our prayer. Maybe it's reading through the Bible in a year. We've given you a plan. There's a plan out there in written form or Craig talked about a plan that just go to the Bible app. Or maybe it's studying the scriptures. Maybe when you come across a passage that is difficult, you actually want to stop and look it up. Maybe go to the internet and and kind of Google that that particular passage of scripture and see what some people have to say about it so you understand it better. Or maybe it's practicing the spiritual disciplines. I brought with me a book that I used in a course this past spring uh, called... Uh, or past fall, reconnect, spiritual exercise for, to develop intimacy with God. And, and it's a workbook. And it has things like fasting and prayer and how you can go about doing that or reading scriptures in different ways. Just a simple book that, that uh, will, might help you with that. And the class went through that. And again, this was a master's class. And, and some of these guys were, were pastors and, and women were pastors. And they said, this book really helped me to get in tune with God. So maybe it's practicing the spiritual disciplines and going through a book like that. Maybe it's financial. Maybe this is a time that you say, I want to get out of debt. 
I really want to, you know, kind of nail down this tithing thing. It's been tough. It's tough to think about giving a tenth to God. Maybe I just need to make a commitment that I'm going to do that for the first time and see what happens. See if God really takes care of my need. Maybe it's building up your savings and planning for retirement. Maybe things along that line. Maybe it's getting healthy. Maybe it's the idea of exercise and, re and, and eating better. Maybe it's joining a small group. Gr Craig would be glad to talk to you about that, right? That's his thing, all right? And maybe it's service or servanthood. A couple of passages of scriptures deal with that. If we're not out there doing it, maybe, maybe God's going to judge us on that. Maybe it's deciding to put an end to a bad habit of sin in your life and to say no to God. And like I said in that Psalm 139. So there's a lot of things that we can do. Maybe it's becoming the man or the woman of God that God has meant you to be. I, I remember praying that prayer one time, Lord, I want to be that man of God. And, and I wasn't tithing. And I, wasn't, I didn't have a steady daily practice of reading scripture. And God hit me on those things right away. He said, you really want to be the man that, that I intended for you to be? You need to start doing this. You need to start trusting me with your finances. You need to spend some time in the word on a regular daily basis. Only takes you about 20 minutes a day to read through the Bible in one year's time. Maybe it's becoming the husband or wife that God has meant you to, to be. Or maybe it's becoming the leader or the parent, the coach, the teacher God wants you to be. Maybe it's, and you fill in the blank, what spiritual discipline or practice or change that you want to bring about this year that's going to take you from here to there to become the person that God has created you to be? I don't want you to leave this place without thinking about that, right? I want you to really think about that for this year. It's only January 3rd. What are our plans for this year to becoming what God has intended us? What discipline do we need to put in our life? What sin do we need to cut out? God, help us with that. Let me pray for you. Father, I, I pray for all of us in this room this morning. As we're doing this series and looking at these things, as we're going from here to there, Father, even at this moment, I pray that you would speak to individuals. Maybe you've already have. Something has come up in what I've said that said, hey, you need to work on that. You need to give some focus to that. You need to get that out of your life. You need to add that into your life. I pray that you would help us in that. Be the persons that God has created us to be. Lord, we want to be that. Maybe we have some here that don't know you. And they're just visiting today. And, and maybe today is the day that they say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, let me enter this new life. I want to be the person that you placed me on planet Earth to be. And if that's you, I just want you to pray that simple prayer just like that. Father, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to be a person that really enjoys this life as you intended for me to enjoy it. Father, help us, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, will you stand with me? All right. I'm going to let you out of here, but Craig gave me an assignment. All right. He already mentioned it earlier that if you're visiting for us for the first day, he's going to be out there at the welcoming booth outside. They do have a gift for you. Happy New Year. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance unto you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. All right.